Welcome to DTRR News, where we will be discussing and staying on top of the latest news in AI and automation. With you to discuss this week's news, Jacob Magnell and David Griffith-Jones. DTRR News This Week. We look at a weaponized robot pledge, the right to remain artificial, and Walmart automating fulfillment. But first, AI could soon diagnose illness by the sound of your voice. You can tell a lot about a person based on how they talk, where someone grew up, and what education they have. A research team in the US is looking into using AI to analyze speech in order to flag signs of disease. Slow and low speech might be a sign of Parkinson, and slurring can be a sign of stroke. The researchers even claim that it is possible to detect depression or cancer. To start, the researchers will look at categorizing speech in five different groups of disease patterns, such as neurological disorders and even pediatric disorders like autism and speech delays. One of the biggest challenges, according to the research team, is the lack of comprehensive and open databases. The project, therefore, is a collaboration between 12 large organizations. One researcher connected to the project, Medical doctor Yale Benswan at USF Health Department told NPR, We saw that everybody was kind of doing very similar work, but always at a smaller level. And we need to do something as a team and build up a network. The goal is to have an app that can manage to help people get an initial screening that could indicate that they should seek out medical opinion. So there's a lot of things going on here, but I think for me, when it comes to healthcare and government work where there's a need for AI solutions, that the lack of open databases is such a big deal. Mm. I think we need to start looking at this as a society and how we collect data for this kind of purposes. Uh, that's not going to be easy. Yeah, this is so it's so exciting the 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 developments that um we're going to see in 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 uh, healthcare and diagnosis just ai's ability to take in vast amounts of data and then make far better predictions it's a perfect use case for artificial intelligence and in this case this news story the data point is people's voices and there's probably lots and lots of data stored in different servers of people's different voices from different voice notes. But how do you make that massive data available for researchers to then attach that data to certain predictions around health? And when you look at um, the specific issues when it comes to data for medical research, you have the whole ethical side of things. You have the fact that it's kind of by its nature personal information that you need to also be able to often take a very long-term view on maybe you're taking a data point in 2020-22, taking a data point this year, but you don't find out until 10 years' time whether the person had a condition or not. So it has a lot of specific challenges when it comes to that. And I mean, one example that is often brought up when it comes to data and disease and and healthcare is that you don't necessarily want, for example, an insurance agency to get a hold of the wrong type of data and making adjustments to your liabilities, so to speak. Which is, um, which is the flip side of openness, isn't it? Right. So how do we handle that? I think it's a discussion that is going to go on and be very central to healthcare and developments within healthcare in the coming years. Yeah, for sure. Next, 
a weaponized robot pledge. In an open letter, several robot production companies have pledged not to support the weaponization of their general purpose robots and have encouraged other companies to do the same. In the letter, companies including Boston Dynamics and Open Robotics have promised not to add weapons to their general use technology and said they would oppose others doing so. The letter says, We believe that adding weapons to robots that are remotely or autonomously operated, widely available to the public, and capable of navigating to previously inaccessible locations where people live and work, raises new risks of harm and serious ethical issues. We call on every organisation, developer, researcher, and user in the robotics community to make similar pledges not to build, authorise, support, or enable the attachment of weaponry to such robots. Boston Dynamics said it was concerned about attempts made to weaponize commercially available robots, saying that such developments could further erode public trust in technology. For this technology to be broadly accepted throughout society, the public needs to know they can trust it, the statement said. And that means we need policy that prohibits bad actors from misusing it. Now, Jacob, I'm not sure. Have you seen that terrifying video of the Boston Dynamics robot dog with a machine gun attached to it? Yeah, it's that's the stuff of nightmares. I I don't like. I'm I'm uncomfortable thinking back to that. It's horrifying, and it raises so many important factors. Like one thing is a kill switch in the in the sense of like you need something. You you need to be able to shut these robots down without it being able. You you shouldn't be able to tamper with that shutdown mecha- mechanism. Stuff like that. How do we make sure that that sort of thing is is in con- the public should be in control in a sense? Yeah, we'll share the um, the video of that robot dog. It's enough to turn your blood cold seeing it um, and just imagining future uses. It's it's difficult because how much power can actually an original equipment manufacturer dictate around? how subsequent users are allowed to use their equipment. They can put terms and conditions in there. Um, It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. So really, ideally, you want something that you want to have in, 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 you want to have embedded in these general purpose robots, an alertness to if someone is misusing it, say integrating a weapon, that it shuts down and connect and contacts local law enforcement. That needs to happen. I think that's, that's going to be, a prerequisite for this type of technology to become general purpose. And I think it's in the interest of the robotics industry. And I mean, this this letter is an example of that, that they're taking this serious, that if they want robots to become part of our general all-day life every day, then they need to figure this stuff out. And I think it's a, a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, because if they don't have the trust, if people associate these robots with something sinister like that, we won't welcome them into our homes and our workplaces. So it's crucial commercially that these robotics companies get ahead of the curve on this thing. And next, the US White House has released a blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights, a document that gives an overview of the opportunities and challenges that AI poses from the White House's perspective. 
The document outlines five principles, including how to create safe and effective systems and how we should think about data privacy, among other things. It's worth noticing that the document does not prescribe any legislation or even propose how laws in this area could look like, but instead gives the White House's view on how we generally should look at the broader questions of advanced technologies in our lives through the lens of the five principles. Some have criticized the document and argue that the US government should do more and be more explicit in proposing tangible actions to meet the challenges outlined in the document. As much of our technology is affected by the American government and its views on it, it's important to be aware of its views in this area. And for me, it's really encouraging to see democratic nations start to lay out the foundations on how to interact with AI and machine learning, because we want we want the free world to lead on this and create a way of using that it's fair, free, and doesn't stifle innovation. So legislation has to sort of accommodate that. Definitely, Jacob. Have you, have you followed what the EU are doing in this space with the EU Data Act and AI Act? Yeah, and I mean, to me, it seems like this is almost a response to what the EU is doing. It feels to me like the EU is much more actively has pursued this. And I think the US needs to, to get on top of that. But also, you can criticize the EU for being very like heavy-handed in how they implement rules like this. And sometimes it feels like we might need to consider the the progress, not only the, the interest of the companies that work with this stuff, but also the amount of progress that we can have in a short amount of time and the, the benefits to society that that can bring. So I think it's good that the US gets into the, the game. Yeah, definitely. The EU are, are trying to lead on this. Um, but it's that balance between, as you say, Jacob, regulation that sets rules around these things, which is really important without stifling innovation. And I think some critics have said, look to the US and their kind of slightly freer approach as being more encouraging for, for innovation. And finally, Walmart automating fulfillment. Walmart is deepening its commitment to an automated supply chain with a deal to acquire grocery automation specialist, Alert Innovation. Walmart had previously utilized Alert's robotics and AI technology in fulfillment centers to fill online orders for pickup and delivery more quickly. Automated bots retrieve ordered items from the warehouse instead of a human associate having to walk the store to pick products from shelves. The items are then brought to a picking workstation where the order can be assembled faster. Increasingly, we're seeing that integrated automation is becoming a must to meet the supply chain challenges, demand fluctuations, personalized products and delivery requirements expected more and more by our modern customers. Many factors are responsible for pushing AI-powered warehousing automation, including repetitive operations, high labor costs, making supply chains more robust and ensuring workplace safety. I saw this uh, news story, Jacob, and it made me think of our upcoming episode with Matthias Griff from Big Blue. Yeah. So next week's episode, we're going to talk to Matthias Griff at Big Blue, a startup looking to bring the warehousing and supply chain experience of major retailers like Amazon and Walmart to smaller boutique companies. Uh, And it's interesting, when we spoke to Matthias, he said that it really doesn't make sense to put robotics into every line in the fulfillment center. So it makes sense where you have very like streamlined products that needs to go out. And and in some cases it can be good to have robots, but mostly from his experience, it's about streamlining the processes so that people can get things done quicker. 
And I think it's really interesting that Walmart are actually buying one of these robotics companies that really speaks to the urgency with which they look at this question of actually automating parts of their supply chain. Because otherwise you could just buy this stuff from other producers and as they have been doing working with with alert but um it really speaks to how important this is for these companies walmart are playing catch up with amazon and and when walmart are are trying to compete with amazon who've really led the way in this um automation of their warehousing it just forces the rest of the market to to catch up and do the same because if they don't the newcomers in this case amazon to supermarkets they're just going to be able to deliver far more quickly, far cheaper. And so it's really pushing the established players to move into this space as well. And yet another example where robotics and AI is no longer a nice to have, it's becoming necessary for companies like Walmart. So be sure to tune in next week to hear from Matthias talking about Big Blue and how they're transforming warehousing and supply chain from the position of startups. As always, fascinating developments within AI and robotics. If you want to support this podcast, please tell a friend about it uh, so that they also can listen. You've been listening to Designing the Robot Revolution News today, October the 30th, 2022. Good stuff. Okay, Jacob, so more and more, um, coming into my consciousness is uh, in, in day-to-day work is Microsoft and what they're doing with their yeah. Power Automate platform. I've only kind of clicked around a bit. I haven't used this much, so disclaimer. But what it seems to be is that the the Power Automate platform is meant to enable normal, everyday workers, non-specialists, to be able to automate their workflows. Right. And this paints a picture where it will be as common for an average white-collar worker to fire up Power Automate and start to automate their workflows as it would today that they power up um, Outlook and PowerPoint and do things in there. And obviously one of the big hurdles to that is people be having the ability and confidence to be able to do this. So whilst it seems like the Power Automate platform has great potential to automate workflows. It still feels a bit too intimidating for just your average white collar worker to be able to dive in there and start automating their workflows. So I see the potential, but Microsoft have just announced that they're integrating um, natural language processing commands into this. So it's just come out. But the idea is that I would, for example, be able to say when I receive an email with the subject line lunch in there, automatically send a response saying that I'm busy for lunch and then look at my calendar and send out an invite for July when you see that I have availability. So I can naturally describe a process that I want and then the Power Automate will actually go and create an automated workflow. And when you think about, I just a silly example there with lunch, but thinking yeah, about but working it's... in finance or other, like being able to just naturally describe a process and active action that you want to happen, and then it builds it. I think this is just going to be huge. I think it's funny if one of the first occupations to sort of go is the automation expert consultants. I think that's it's it's a little bit of a uh, 
ironic fate for that type of consultancy uh, to be automated away faster than anything else. Um, but it's it, it's really fascinating. One thing that I am sort of thinking about a little bit, I'm not very good at making like Excel formulas and the such, mm. which is basically what we're talking about here. Um, but I have been forced to learn just to do very rudimentary stuff, like sending an email if I get this thing here in this file here. And I had to do that in order to be able to speak to someone that can make it for me yeah. more efficiently. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if Microsoft are going to be, if it's going to be understandable enough so that it can create the logic out of just pure plain text or if it does require some expertise from the users in how the logic should be set up so that they ask for the right thing yeah. like how good can you make it um if you imagine if they've got this up and running and uh, they have a finance team in birmingham and a finance team in london in, in different companies you'd imagine there'd start to be a lot of um repeat commands yeah. and workflows and so that could really help them create a library and and understand what type of things are looking to be automated to kind of give the flywheel effect so i imagine just the more they do it yeah all the finance companies that use microsoft tools yeah. if they can sort of leverage that so that you can get as you say a library where like would you like to do this quirky thing here um, I've done some kind of what would be basic workflow automation for one of um, my side projects where we have um, people signing up for an event and on sign up, we it triggers an automated email to them. Their details are saved to our database and then another message is sent out so that we know that something has so it's literally just a chain of emails being sent out based on one right. email being saved. And Zapier is really good. If for those who don't know Zapier, you can connect lots of different applications into this interface in Zapier. So basically, you name it, Google product or e-commerce product, you can pull in the APIs from there and then set commands of if this, then that type commands. And it's powerful. It saves a lot of manual work. It can kind of give speedy responses but it is still like, uh, I don't know, like it's not a kind of intuitive, easy thing to do. You have to you have to have an almost programmer's mindset of the way it's structured. Yeah. But if you can just introduce a new type of interface that sits above the, the power that is already there, but where people can just through natural language explain what they want to happen. And then the system takes that natural language and turns it into a suggested automated flow, separating the human from that kind of nuts and bolts of pulling everything together. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting, but I do reckon that it, for, for the foreseeable future, like a year or two or five, it's going to be a tool that experts use to make stuff faster, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's how I envision it. I do in the short term. I do in the short term, but in the well, time frames, but you know, in, in not too long, in the kind of short, medium term, if you, if you really want to be, if you're a company that really wants to transform across the entire business and automating so that you're increasing efficiency and productivity and all across your business, you, you need the people you just to be doing it as part of their 
day-to-day job like as so long as you're still reliant on a kind of expert role and that could be a consultant or it could be a particular department going in and doing these programs it's a natural bottleneck to making the progress so far more effective if you can actually get most average workers able to actually do this themselves can you imagine how quickly you could improve efficiency and productivity if you have (laughs) everyone able to do this I think you're automating away yourself now, though. Uh, but that's fine. Uh, but but it, it is interesting that it's so hard to see the inefficiencies in your own work. Mm. Like, I might be spending a couple of minutes every day sending the same email to the same person. And I might not recognize that that's what I'm doing because it's sort of part of my work. So how that's a really interesting aspect of this could you make an interface connected to this microsoft project products that help you sort of go through your day to find these efficient inefficiencies yeah i mean surely because it, it can just yeah. watch what you're doing I, I often think that like i mean that's often actually practically how you go and find opportunities for automation remember working with the finance team right you yeah. li- literally just kind of observe what people are doing through certain processes and start to see, wow, this is very repetitive. This is very inefficient. And I mean, that's almost what Microsoft is doing now because you get these emails every week. If you have the Microsoft something 360 suite, you you get an email like, this is the person you've collaborated most with. Yeah. That's a very good start for that. Yeah, it is. I mean, one of the things I'd love to one of my automate away because I find it it actually is the most frustrating thing and makes me reluctant to engage in initiatives is the pain of finding the spot in people's diary. You know, you've got a meeting with 10 busy people and you need to find a, an hour spot and just the, the effort required to go in and right now manually, it's easier than it used to be with the interface, but right. just finding the spot. It'd be so much easier if I could say, find an hour meeting with these people ideally in the next two weeks and then boom it just gives the suggestion of a time rather than me having to go and look through people's diaries that surely can't be far away Uh, that must be possible i think the only problem that i see is having some sort of prioritization in people's yeah you, you if you could add some prioritization to your meetings yeah then that would be much easier because then you could say that this is a one for me, but it's a three for this person. And and I don't know. Yeah. And then other things like, because um, once you had an automated system, you would then start to behave differently. So if you knew that the kind of administrative part of, let's say, a, you know, a workshop where you have to kind of find the participants, book the participants, have a pre-session beforehand, maybe send some pre-reading, a follow-up with actions afterwards. If you if if you took away the legwork of that administration yeah. and it's more than about preparing content that the automation just sucks up and pushes out, you could be concentrating you get to concentrate more on the material you're producing, which then is administrated by this automated workflow, rather than the kind of almost it's the emotional energy involved in just the kind of bringing up, sending out the invites, writing the meeting notes. All of that interaction administration can go and I can just concentrate on creating the best content. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, it's fascinating. Uh, there, Surely there has to be so much of that stuff being worked on uh, from Microsoft and the likes. 
Yeah, it's... You'd, you'd think so. And what I would love is to have, I mean, it's all because it's all, as you say, Jacob, it's already there just in the background. Teams is seeing everything I'm doing on my computer anyway. Mm. That along with that email, like that I got Monday morning saying, these are the people you're collaborating with and how you're spending your time. A recommendation. Hey, David, we've noticed that you're doing this. You could automate this or here's a suggestion. And yeah. it really, I just see the potential to increase productivity. But I think massive. that's what's needed in order to make it really like scalable because it is not hard to identify your own processes. But so I think that needs to be identifiable digitally and quickly so that you know what you you can ask for. And I think everyone should be relaxed about parts of our jobs being automated. Like yes, this I think about the robotic process automation yep. consultancies who've done really well in the last few years because oh, they're yeah. filling that gap of going in, helping organizations understand what might be suitable for automation and then holding their hand and setting up the automation pine. But that is just so less scalable than people and organizations able to do it themselves. And we're going to hit this flywheel where productivity really increases and ask yourself the question what does that free me up to do the higher value things and i can't wait take it oh, away from me jacob really good <laughs> I, will, I will do all your scheduling of meetings That'd from now great. on thank you <laughs> all right thank you for listening have a great day thank you bye-bye